I would definitely feel a lot safer putting that 15 grand and trying something than putting that 100 grand and not having any seller financing and doing a deal the wrong way. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, episode 16. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman. What is going on, brother? How you doing? I am great, sir. Excited to get into this episode. We got some neat questions and some big news. Yeah, man, some big news. Here's the sad news, right? This is our last episode of the season. So we're going to break this up into a couple of different seasons. Next season, we're going to be talking all about buyers. So the idea is season two is going to be completely buyer-focused on you know starting from the very beginning all the way through the deal and then expanding and growing the site and looking at your second, third, fourth, 15th deal. So we want to basically have a body of work that we can point website buyers to and say, hey, these are our best tips. This is our best plan for website buyers. You go listen to this season and you're good. So I think it's going to be really exciting. I think our listeners are going to dig it. Season three, again, will be sellers, of course. And I think I really like the format. I think it's going to be some fun. We'll probably be back with new episodes in February 2016. So that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, I think for people that are getting into this space and what we talked about is we get questions and, you know, both of us are talking to a lot of buyers. There are a lot of people that are coming into the space that are completely new. They have no idea, even just at the most basic level. So this will be an opportunity for us to start at the foundation of just, you know, the most basic knowledge and then build into some of the more advanced strategies and be able to dig a little bit deeper into the specifics. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions from people that are either brand new or they want to like share some information with someone who is brand new. And it's like, we don't really want to cover that in our general episodes. It's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like really newbie stuff, but still there's a need for it. So I think if we can do that and then work up to like the very kind of like advanced level strategies later on, I think we'll get some interest in that. People appreciate it. All right, man, enough about that. Let's talk about what we're talking about today, which I think is be really fun how we would start over from scratch. So here's the scenario. You have no connections, you have no customers. How would you get started again? And what would you do differently this time around than you've done previously? I know this is an exciting question. I love it. When you told me about the idea for this episode, you know, I started thinking about it. It's like, wow, it would be way different today than the way I started, you know, 16 years ago at my first website, obviously. But I think the dynamics, even in the last couple of years in the market, have changed quite a bit. And looking back, I think this will be a fun episode to walk through. I know some of the things you're thinking about. I know some of the things I'm thinking about. I think people are going to be surprised at some of our ideas. Yeah, I think they'll be surprised by our ideas. I also agree with you that the climate has changed a bit. So some of the things that you did 16 years ago, some of the things I did five or six years ago, it's just not quite the same. And so there are some changes that need to happen. And so we're going to hash through that. I think it also puts us in the shoes of some of our listeners, right? They might have, you know, 50,000, 100,000, $200,000 they'd like to invest, but they don't have the first clue on where to start. 
they don't have the confidence that this kind of works, that you know, buying and selling websites you know, can be a profitable venture. And so they're hesitant, right? And so I get where they're coming from. We're gonna try to break through that using our experience only. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things is we're talking to people, we get a lot of those folks that are coming in, just like we talked about, that have those initial questions and just very basic ideas. And a lot of people are just like, where do I go? What do I do? There are all these different business models. You know, what should I buy? What's my first step? And so I think this will be a good primer for some of those folks. So the idea is we're going to beat each other up, right? I'm going to ask you the questions. We're going to go through the process. You're going to answer some questions and then I'm going to beat you up about it, man. I'm going to dig into you. Yeah. I'm going to dig into you a little bit and we'll see where it winds up. See if we can hash out some value out of the deal. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. Before we do that, we've got some listener questions. First up, we've got Sean Smith. He said, hey, guys, I love your podcast. I have a question about capital structure for an acquisition. What percentage of the purchase price is a traditional lender, i.e. bank, likely to finance in a deal? Do they even look at online business acquisitions or does the buyer need 100% cash? How about you doing a podcast episode discussing the capital structure of some of the deals you've worked on? That would be interesting. Looking forward to the response and keep up the great work, Sean. All right, Sean. Well, great question. You know, are sellers willing to finance deals? You know, I understand, especially as a buyer, like, hey, I'd like to not have to put up all my own cash. I'd say that it used to not be as likely that the bank would finance a online business or website. That's changing now, especially with like SBA loans. They're opening up a bit. Now, the requirements are still pretty strict, and it may take months before you're able to actually you know, get your hands on that money, get your hands on the loan, but it is possible today. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're seeing some deals, especially on the larger side. You know, it's kind of tough when you're in between, but we're definitely seeing some deals that are in the million dollar and larger range that banks are getting comfortable with financing and even doing SBA loans on. When it gets into the smaller deals, it can be quite a bit tougher. I think a lot of it is just sometimes subjective, subjectively looking at the deal and thinking like, oh man, is this, you know, what is this? And as we know, it takes a while to get used to these businesses as assets. So I think the banks will eventually come around. But yeah, we've done a couple of bank finance deals this year, which is a whole new thing. Generally, from a buyer's perspective, it's almost always better to get seller financing. So if you get the seller to finance it, a lot of times you're not even paying interest on that. So it can be a really good deal to use seller financing. Now, the question in terms of like what percentage you're going to be able to finance, that's rough, especially when it comes to seller financing. So normally, you're not going to get more than 50% of the deal financed usually. Now, there are exceptions to that. Of course, there are some sellers that are open to 60, 70, 80% seller financing, but that's a rare deal. You're not going to see those very often. And when you do, it's normally for a very large business that probably has some level of problems in it. Yeah, I would be really curious to hear from you. I mean, I feel like the percentage is going way down in the number of deals that are willing to accept owner financing, just as we've seen demand go up. Do you see that happening with the Empire deals where, you know, four of those deals are getting some level of financing? No, we see offers all the time, but it just doesn't normally go through. It's like, you know, someone's coming in saying, look, I want to give, you know, 60% up front and I want to finance the other 40% over 12 months. You got another person coming in and I'll give you 90% cash. Ah, I'm taking the cash, you know what I mean? So that's yeah, exactly. That's, it's pretty common, and that's what we're saying. <laughs> there's a lot more buyers, especially you know, sub five hundred thousand. There's a lot more buyers out there, so sellers have their pick of buyers, really, and so it makes it really, really difficult for you 
to finance a deal. I would say that there are different, like the deals that you're probably more likely to be able to finance are the deals that not anyone could buy. So if there's like a very technical or like a very specific knowledge required to take over and run the website or business, you're going to have a better chance of that because it's simply like the buyer pool is limited, right? So if it requires a particular type of developer, so a developer that knows finance or something, that might be a little more difficult. And if you have those skill sets, it puts you in a unique position. You have a an advantage over the other buyers and there just simply won't be as many. So you'd be more likely to get more seller financing than you would otherwise. I definitely agree. I'm seeing that same dynamic in the market. Cool, man. So we got another email from Russell Jones. Russell said, I just listened to your latest episode. Great stuff as always. Anyway, you talked about currency exchange again, and I've been using a new app or service that I love and think you should check out if you haven't already. There are zero fees, and it uses the interbank rate, so it's been costing me nothing to transfer cash from the UK to Canada. I could go on about it, but it's much easier to watch the short videos on their website. Instead, that's revolut.com, R-E-V-O-L-U-T.com. He said, by the way, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, and I just changed my email address this one, blah, blah, blah. Best regards, Russell Jones. So I took a look at this really quick before I even mentioned it on the podcast. I don't want to mention some crazy scam where people sign up for the <laughs> app and get their money stolen. But yeah, no, they'd raised some money. They were on uh, a couple of the tech sites and stuff. And so they're, it looks like a legit company. I haven't used them. I don't know anything about them, but it's interesting. I'm going to check them out. Yeah, I know that that's an issue that comes up with a lot of people. You know, nobody. When you're coming into these deals, the last thing you want is to lose money because of the, having to do an exchange. So I checked out the site when we got this email in. Look, it looks legit, but I haven't used it either. You know what's interesting? We always get questions about this from new buyers or depositors with Empire Flippers, and they go, "Hey, you know, I don't like your deposit process. I don't want to pay a deposit, and then." You know, you refund me the deposit or whatever, and I lose, you know, PayPal takes the fees and I lose out on the exchange rate and all this, right? So I'm really worried about that. They're like, look, first off, when you refund via PayPal, their fees go back into yeah. it. So you don't lose the fees and you don't lose on the exchange rate either. No. So you don't lose anything. The exchange rate goes right back to you, you get everything back. There is a slight exception though. There are a few like local banks, and we've seen this, I think, from a couple of like local banks in Australia where they do charge them money. So they did end up losing money on the deposits. Really rare, but there mm-hmm. are a couple of banks that take money, and it's really, really strange. But yeah, it's like a local bank thing, man. Weird. Yeah, I think that, you know, what I tell buyers all the time is that, and it's becoming more of an issue now, man, where, you know, we've definitely seen some of these deals that we get in a lot of cases from other brokers where it's really obvious that a couple copycatters come up based on the perspectives. And I'm in a lot of groups and I just see people talking to like, you know, they're sharing these perspectives. They're basically saying in the groups, oh, well, this will be really easy to copy and you could do this and that and da, da, da. And I'm a very big fan. You know, one of the reasons we're even doing this podcast together is I'm a very big fan and believer in y'all's deposit process is just one more impediment to that kind of thing. So anybody that is short-sighted enough to complain about deposit isn't thinking in their own best interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. And so I, when I had people complain, it's normally people that are brand new to us and they're like, what the hell? How are you charging a deposit? It's refundable and everything, but you're charging a deposit to see the information on the site. And yeah, I think they just haven't thought it through. Like they're so new that they're like, what? You want me to pay you money, put it at risk just to look at the information? But if they think it through, they realize 
you know, look, I don't want everyone and their mother, brother, sister, and aunt to be looking at this perspective. I don't want it tossed around circles of people who are saying, oh, I could recreate this business or do this or that. I mean, yes, there are going to be other depositors, but you want to limit that buyer pool or that potential copycat pool as much as possible. And the deposit helps do that. A lot of the scammers or the kids in their mom's basement that would recreate the sites are the ones that don't have, you know, six grand to throw on a credit card. So those people don't have access to the cash to even make the deposit keeps them out of even viewing the information. So I think that's helpful. All right, man, enough about that. You ready to get into this episode? Let's jump in, man. All right, man. So let's talk about how we would start over from scratch. Again, the scenario, Ace, you were forced to start over. You have zero connections. You have no clients. And I'm giving you $100,000 to work with. You can assume that you have that to invest in your business, whatever that business would be. And so there are some questions, right? And ultimately, we want to see how you would rebuild your online business mogul career. There's some questions I want you to answer. Number one, you know, where would you start? What would be your focus? Number two, what are your first few steps? Number three, how would you put that 100000 to work? Number four, where would you be in six months, one year, two years, three years? And number five, how long until you're financially stable and diversified? All right, man, first one, where would you start? What would be your focus? How would you get this business rolling? So I was thinking about this, you know, a lot of actually what we've talked about in the intro to this episode has come into play. You know, we've seen like we talked about the decrease in the number of business sellers that are willing to offer financing. We've seen a lot huge, bigger demand from buyers, and which is creating interest. And, you know, I mentioned the groups where I see people talking about copying businesses and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm getting invited into a lot of these things, which is it's great that the industry is growing, but there's some other dynamics that are happening because of that. One is that there obviously is a lot higher demand. So there's a lot of money chasing fewer deals. And the really interesting thing, I think for years, what I thought would happen was just multiples would increase. And multiples have increased a bit, but I think multiples are still an amazing deal for what we're getting to get that kind of ROI. What's really happening is, you know, it's kind of like if demand went up for apples and, you know, it's a very simple asset, you can go out and just increase the price and that kind of thing. But what if there were a bunch of rotten apples that were in there and, you know, basically instead of increasing the price for the apples, you just start selling those rotten ones. And that, yeah. that's basically what's happening in the market overall. There's not an increase in price, but there's definitely a decrease in quality, quality deals. of yeah. deals and a huge decrease, like I said, in the things that make this whole space work. I mean, you know, you look at hundreds of years of offline deals. And the reason that whole thing works is that it's just a standard, you know, you're going to offer uh, 50% financing or whatever, like we talked about wanting in this space. But what's happened with that demand is those kind of normal checks. It's not as much about the ROI as it is about due diligence checks, as we've talked about in previous episodes. And so what we've had is a deterioration of, you know, that kind of due diligence checks, a deterioration of the quality 
of deals and people treating that brand new apple right off the vine the same as the rotten apple and both of them are getting the same multiple. All right, man. So you've, <laughs> you've, you've set the scene. You've kind of laid the picture. You said yeah. there's more apples out there, but more of them are rotten. It's a little harder to find the quality deals. So what do you do, man? What's the deal? So one of the things that I've never recommended in my life, but I think we're at a point where, you know, this is a very strong seller's market. I think it could be really valuable to gain the skill set if you're looking at these online deals, just gain the skill set of being able to build something. So, you know, you could focus on looking at deals that are in a particular area. Number one, for me, I would look at what deals are selling at the highest multiple, selling with the shortest time on market, and I would focus on that space. So I would still go out and look at deals in that space, but like we talked about, it's going to be tough to negotiate and really get a really strong deal. So you're learning about what people are buying and you are able to go and build a business in that space that is going to be in high demand. All right, man. So you're saying you're going to build. This is shocking for me from the guy that's buying deals right and left (laughs) who comes and goes, you know, I think think I'm going to switch course. I'm going to start building from scratch. So you're going to start building sites from scratch. Now, you did say you're still going to be in the market. You're still going to be looking. But because all the, you know, the crappy apples out there, the rotten apples, you're going to try to build from scratch. Here's what I like about that. I like the fact that you're going to be learning the skill sets that you're going to need to expand those sites. So I think that's a positive step. I mean, you know, you have to start somewhere. So you know, learning those skill sets, I think, is going to be really helpful. And yeah, so I think I, there's some value there. I've got some problems with what you're doing, too. We're going to yeah. talk about that. So what I do you know. Do? I know, man. Monday morning kicks off. It's a new day. You're starting from scratch. What do you do Monday? So first of all, I'm deciding which path I'm going to go down. It could be, you know, it's a SaaS business. It could be it's a drop shipping business. And I'm also going to find someone has a system that's been proven in that space because I still want to have some kind of leg up. So, you know, if it's a SaaS business, I'm going to go and learn from, you know, like a Dane Maxwell, the foundation. If it's a drop shipping business from Anton and them, if it's a FBA or Amazon business, which those are great, you know, I'm going to go out and learn from the amazing guys or Ryan Moran or Chris. What's Chris's last name? Who was that wrote him with us? I'm blanking on it. But, you know, there are a lot of those guys that have created businesses in those spaces. All right, man. So, so you, just you, gave me, you just gave me a bunch of courses. Which one are you thinking about, man? Would you do the FBA? Would you do the drop shipping side? I mean, it's Monday. You can't just look at them all. You got to do one. Well, so I'm just saying for the listener, they're going to decide on the business that is in highest demand. I consider right now the SaaS businesses to be in the highest demand and and selling at the greatest multiple. And you're able to get SBA likes them. So those are some of the criteria that tell me I would go down that path. So you're going Um, SaaS. I would go with SaaS. That's a Dane Maxwell Foundation. Are you going to do the pre-sale route? You're going to do all that? So I would go down the pre-sale route, but I would do a couple of things. In addition to going down the path of trying to build this, this is a very small portion budget-wise, but I think it's the most interesting aspect of my strategy. So you know, we can talk most about it, but we're only talking about 10, 15,000 of the 100,000. So the lion's share 
of my cash is still looking to buy something that's in this space. So regardless, I'm spending 15,000 with a ton of upside because if it does work, then I'm able to go and sell it. I mean, you could have something for three, the way the market is right now, you know, you have something for six months, the SaaS and sell it at, at a really great strong price. But, you know, 85% of my money it is going to be looking for a deal, but that 15,000 has such a great upside side because the 100,000 can do so little in the market that we're in right now. And there's just a ton of risk associated. So what I think the biggest benefit is, is not feeling rushed to do a deal. I think in the market that we're in, there are a bunch of people that feel rushed and there's a lot of cash in the market. And so people feel like, oh, well, I got to go and just spend this hundred thousand and then it's sunk. And, you know, I get a lot of the calls from people who make mistakes after they've made them. So it's balancing that risk with a little bit of diversification. So I would start with that process. The other thing I would do is start to go to see if there are events, because I love the consulting for equity strategy. I do it with offline businesses and internet businesses, where I just partner with a business and instead of them paying me to help in their business, they give me equity. So that would be one of the first things that I'm looking at on Monday. Where can I go to meet some other people in this space? And then I'm started on a course and I'm looking at deals that are out there similar to the one that I'm going to build. All right, man, I'm trying to process all this. You threw a lot at me. Let me see if I got this right. So you're looking to put $15,000 into a SaaS business that you're going to start from scratch. You have $85,000 in reserve and you're still like kind of passively sort of actively looking for deals or opportunities that are out there looking for the good apples and then in addition you're going to do some networking and see if you can work your way into an equity position in a business that either someone else is starting up or still early ground you're going to take your knowledge and apply it to that so you're going to do some networking at some events make some phone calls and see if you can just talk to some people but you don't know anyone i've taken away all your contacts so what, yeah you've got to build that from scratch okay so, so so where would you go where, where would you go to build from scratch for the networking who would you go what events would you go to how would you do it yeah so Obviously, whoever you're studying with or whatever, I have to say, I've never taken Dane's any of the courses we're mentioning. So <laughs> to all of this should be taken with a grain of salt. It's all projective. But I would go to obviously whoever I'm following their events. I would go to any SaaS related events because the most powerful thing you can do with that 85, I think right now, the real goal of all of this is that when you're in a seller's market, you want to get to the sales side as quickly as possible. So one way is to build. The other way is to find a business that's already profitable. And then you could take some of your cash, get an equity stake or do consulting for equity, which I'm a big fan of and get a little bit of a stake. And then you're driving that thing to be able to get it on the market market and kind of leapfrog. So I've got, you know, I think people think that that whole strategy is a lot tougher. Like I actually earlier this morning was talking to one of my clients who's overseas, who's negotiated equity and deals in the U.S., you know what I mean, without ever meeting the people or any of that. 
But at the end of the day, business owners are lonely. A lot of them are exhausted. They've grown this thing to a certain point. They would love, they don't want to really spend money, but to have somebody whose interests are aligned with theirs, that's going to help them drive that business across the finish line, and especially if they're interested in eventually selling, is a very powerful strategy. And so I actually like that. I like when you talk about like the baby boomers and they've got these businesses that they're kind of tired with. They don't really know what they're going to do with them. They, you know, would like for someone else to take over. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they don't have kids. Maybe their kids aren't interested in their business. And like partnering up with them to kind of get some sweat equity in the deal. I've always thought it was an interesting strategy. You mentioned that in previous podcasts. But I got to say, man, I'm going to beat you up a little bit. I don't know. Let's do, I know you are, man. This is out of left field. The Ace wheels Chapman, are turning, the, man. No startup guy. The wheels are Talking turning. About something. <laughs> Let's do this. So, okay. So you first off. I'm not sure I like the three-prong approach. I mean, I like it because you're like diversified. You've got like irons in the fire. So if one deal drops out, you got another opportunity. You're not risking all your money buying a hundred thousand dollar site. You know, as you mentioned, some of your clients have done in the past. You know, it can be bad. It can be risky. You could lose it all. That's dangerous. What I don't like is the three-prong focus issue. Like you're gonna be all over the place. You're gonna be messing with. You're trying to network and edge your way into an equity deal. You're kind of like looking around for deals. You're trying to start a SaaS business, which I'm getting to that now. Starting a SaaS business just from nowhere. I know you just talked to Dane and, and the foundation guys, and there are some guys that had some really good success, like pre-selling SaaS, you know, software that they set up. But I, there are a lot of guys that didn't have success doing that too. And that just seems like it's a hell of a lot of work building a SaaS company. Now, yes, when they take off and they've got like a nice little, you know, up into the right hockey stick thing going on, even six months into the business, a year into the business, those things sell like hotcakes. But I think you're ignoring or, you know, not seeing all the ones that failed the launch at all, that had no success. They tried to pre-sell. It didn't work. You know what I mean? Like, or they didn't try to pre-sell. They tried to build some software. It took six months and didn't work. I mean, there's some costs that go into that outside the $15,000. I don't know, man. Of the three, I like the SaaS business probably the least, and I don't like the split focus. So if it were me, I'm not sure, you know, which, let me ask you this, which one do you think would have the best chance of success and which one would give you the return the earliest? So at the end of the day, that's the reason that the SaaS idea represents 15% of the market. I think we talked more about it because it is interesting and, you know, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of time. The thing that is the most likely and I don't want to say easiest, but the most likely to give you a return is going out and doing the consulting for equity. So when I have somebody, you know, when I talk about my guys overseas or guys in the U.S., when somebody's starting from scratch, the easiest way to get from zero to income is to do what we just talked about, is to have that baby boomer who owns the business. It's already profitable. You know, they're pretty much sick and tired of it. They're looking for a lifestyle change. They're, you know, getting older and nobody's there. Unlike, you know, the space that we're in where there are tons and tons buyers. There's just nobody there. And so they're willing to do deals where you don't necessarily have to go in and operate the business. You know, like I've got calls scheduled while I'm traveling all over the world, helping these folks. And I've got virtual assistants and all that good stuff. But you're really running it like an internet business. At the end of the day, you start immediately generating cash flow. So that's where the lion's share of the cash and the focus would be. But I think it's worth, because of the market that we're in right now, trying to build something. I think the other crucial thing, and you know, I wish that I could go back and really focus a little bit more on this in some of my previous calls. One of the reasons that I put a huge emphasis 
in, you know, financing and getting seller financing and all this stuff is, you know, you talk about the risk of a SaaS business, but, you know, I get calls from tons of people who don't go through our process and program where I'm kind of reiterating, you know, you can't do deals like this. You can't pay all cash for deals. Like, da, 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 da. And there's not a lot of talk at this point publicly about the riskiness of buying an existing internet deal without all of those proper things in place. And mm. that's the majority of the deals right now are that way. So you talk about the risk of a SaaS business that I would much, you know, just based off of the feedback, I would definitely feel a lot safer putting that 15 grand and trying something than putting that 100 grand and not having any seller financing and, and doing a deal the wrong way. Yeah, that's interesting. Like building tech, at least you know it's built right from scratch. When you're buying SaaS companies, you'd be buying some broken ass tech or they've reached kind of their max that needs a whole new redesign or like, you know, they need to build the base up again from scratch. So that's interesting. How exactly would you go about trying to get the equity deals? Like, what would you say? Okay, you get on the phone with someone who's, who has a business or whatever, and you get on the phone with them. What do you tell them to, hey, give me a piece of your business? I mean, that's a weird approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the very first things that I tell clients to do just as far as, you know, we do a lot of lead generation when it comes to these offline deals. But one of the easiest just low hanging fruit things is when you join a chamber of commerce, it costs like a couple hundred bucks. And so, you know, one of our 30 strategies is we just join a chamber. We say we are business buyers. And, you know, when a clothing store joins a chamber, they send out a blast to every all of the members in the city and you know it's a neat little thing like maybe they get a couple of customers but this is our 100% target market and yeah. we basically brand ourselves as people that are buying these businesses and it's going to be and most of those folks are older and all of them 100% are business buyers so literally for a couple hundred bucks you get in front of all of your potential you know clients or deals in addition you get an advocate in that chamber who will you know make introductions like hey I think this guy really needs to sell he just had a heart attack you know his wife's trying to run the you know just like all these little things that can come up through that single connection. Wow. So Ace, that is a slick tactic, man. I like that in terms of deal flow, in terms of like getting yourself out there and starting to get connected. I really like that one, man. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a ton of those things you can do, but literally you could get deals just with that one. Nice, man. All right. So I dig it. I think you're going to be a little all over the place. I think your SaaS is going to fail miserably. I like the connection stuff. I think you got opportunity there. And then I know you and I know your skill set. So I know you're going to be able to find a deal with the 85,000. So I feel pretty comfortable, man. I think you're going to make it work. I think you're going to worm your way into some equity deals on some uh, some old dudes looking to retire. And then I think you're going to be able to, to buy yourself. Worm my way in. <laughs> worm your way in. I think, at, at least yours the is a worm strategy. You should call it that. Dude, at least it's a lot better. You know, I did this with Joe, my business partner, one time. You know what he told me? He told me he, we, we did this on a podcast. He said, I shit you not. He said, I think if I was starting over, one way I would go to take money is to write some of those like <laughs> vampire romance books or some shit. Like he actually oh, no. said this. Yes, dude. I was like, what no. What in the hell are you talking about, dude? You're, you're worming your way into teenagers' dude, pockets. He, exactly, dude. What's he doing? It was so funny. I beat him up pretty good. Oh, uh, that's great. All right, buddy. So my turn. I'm gonna I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna let you in, I'm gonna let you dig let's... into me a little bit here. So here's the deal. So what I really like in terms of getting this deal done, getting it started from scratch, here's the route I would take. 
I like the idea of the Amazon affiliate to FBA model. So here's the basic idea. You can buy an Amazon affiliate site that's already out there. It's earning money. So let's say it's earning, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month. Let's say three thousand dollars a month in net profit. I'm able to buy the site for let's say fifty to sixty thousand dollars. I bought it because I know that it's a product that's a really good fit for FBA, which is fulfillment by Amazon. Basically, you know, there are people that have you know, bought the products in China, shipped them to Amazon warehouses. Amazon handles the customer service. They handle the shipping. They handle all the product stuff for a fee. And so those guys are making a profit on the back end. So what I would do is I'd look for an Amazon site, buy that Amazon site, make sure it's a good FBA fit. That would be my only requirement. I would have a requirement on niche or product or anything. And then start sourcing that product from China. So I get my first batch over, do some testers, and then get my first batch over, set it up with Amazon, set up my product page with Amazon, and then change the links from my Amazon affiliate site to my product. In the meantime, I'd also be building some Amazon sites that are in the same or close to the same niches so I can start you know, scaling that up and selling both more of my own FBA product, but then adding new products to it as well that I think are complementary to the customer. And I think that diversifies me a bit. I'm making the Amazon affiliate cash on the deal that's already proven. I know I've got a proven market because before I bought the site, I'm looking at what products those customers are actually buying when they get to Amazon, as long as it's a high enough percentage of the actual product that I want to source, then I know that that product is you know in demand. So I'd be able to basically double dip on my Amazon site. If I'm making you know $3,000 a month in profit on the affiliate site, that means if I'm at you know 8%, that means that it's probably doing $40,000 in sales. Maybe half of those, $20,000 or so, is of the actual product. If I can get a you know 30% margin out of that or something, I'm looking at $6,000 a month on the FBA side. So that's my plan, man. I would do affiliate to yeah. FBA, uh, source the product. So what you got, man? Throw something so, at me. So, well, let's go to the first few steps. I mean, if you're going to go out, you're going to find this FBA deal. You know, one of the interesting things that I always tell people is it can be a tough thing to get super specific where you need an affiliate deal, where it's going to be a product that you're going to be able to find and get licensed. And, you know, you're going to be able to turn it into FBA and those margins are going to be big enough. And so, but let's get to just your first few steps. Okay. So the first few steps, you know, you're right. It's going to be difficult, I think, to find the right Amazon affiliate site, but I'm open. Like, I don't care about particular industry. I don't care. Doesn't have to be in the health and doesn't mean anything in particular. Obviously, it can't okay. be selling TVs. If it's selling Sony TVs or something, well, I'm screwed. I can't FBA that shit, right? I'm, I'm not exactly. manufacturing yeah. TVs overseas. But if it's chandeliers or foosball tables or something, probably something I could do. Foosball might be difficult because shipping and everything. But I'd probably try and make it small to something that I could air freight over so that I don't have the lag time that shipping that comes with shipping. It might be six weeks or eight weeks to get the product to Amazon. I'd want something quicker that I could do ship via air so I could, you know, test through. One of the problems with it is, so, okay, first steps, right, is I would start looking for an Amazon affiliate site. That's a good match. So I'd start shopping all the brokers, you know, checking out FE, Quiet Light, Empire Flippers, start looking for the right affiliate site that's a good match. So I'd have to dig through quite a few sites, maybe 20, 30 sites to find the right listing for me, 20, 30 Amazon sites. So it would take me a bit. I mean, I can see it taking, you know, one to three months 
In the meantime, I don't think I'd build out the affiliate sites yet. I'd want to find that first Amazon affiliate site that's kind of my anchor and then build around that. So I wouldn't want to start building affiliate sites willy-nilly because I know, especially from the broker side, that you know there's a big failure rate just building sites from scratch. They may just fail the launch. I may build them and they may get stuck in Google for a while, six months, a year, year and a half before they get any traction. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to want to make sure I'm doing it in a niche that I know is profitable because I already have a site in that niche selling those products, if that makes sense. Assuming that I got the affiliate site, let's say, within the first month, obviously, I'd take that over. I wouldn't change much on that Amazon affiliate site to start. I'd just look at history and look at how many of the particular products were sold why some products you're selling over other products, why the particular users that go to Amazon buy that product over another. Check out that the reviews for that one versus their competitors and then see what I can do to iterate on that and deliver a better product on my own. It would be a branded product, so I wouldn't just buy some no-name product. I'd put you know, the Justin Inc. brand on it and start selling an FBA. I'd probably take the course or at least torrent that shit or download or something that <laughs> the amazing seller, the amazing selling machine, you know, you know those guys. So I would get the course probably and go through that and then start hanging out in some of the Amazon FBA forums and figuring out FBA. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I got to say, I'm sure the listeners are like, I thought this thing was about buying businesses. And here these guys are in both cases talking about building some stuff as well. So I think that that's pretty interesting, but also indignative of the market that we're in. The toughest thing with this is going to be finding that right deal that has the right product. I don't you say a couple of months, three months, like, you, you know, think, based you think on I'm unicorn you, shopping. I think you're unicorn shopping, man. I think it would be interesting to look around and see because it's not just the deal coming on the market, you've got $100,000. It's got to be the right size. So, you know, right now there's nobody's really given owner financing. So it's basically got to be $100,000 or less. No, I think I do probably like my range. I should have mentioned that. I think I'd probably be looking maybe twenty five to 30,000, the lowest and 60 uh-huh. to 65 at the highest. And the reason 60 to 65 would be the highest is because I need money for inventory. You know, those FBA businesses are cash hogs and I may screw up my first order and then be out of cash. So I need, you know, maybe, you know, I do a couple testers to make sure the product's good and then ship maybe $10,000 of units or whatever. And if that first order is shit, I need a little extra cash to be able to back myself up. So yeah, Yeah. I'm pushing it a little bit, especially if it takes off because then I'm having to dump more and more of my cash in the business. And so that's something I have to be pretty careful with, I think is cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. So that answers the $100,000 question. So talk about how, you know, where you talked about those first three months, where do you expect to be six months, a year, a couple years from now? So I think I'm struggling the first few months, right? Until I get that anchor site, that anchor Amazon affiliate site, I'm struggling. I'm not making any cash, but I have to devote all my efforts to doing that. So when you said it'd be difficult, it might be, but I'm doing nothing else other than shopping for the Amazon affiliate site. So I'm pretty singularly focused. I think I start bringing in some cash when I get that affiliate site. It's a few thousand dollars a month. It's not amazing. And then the real work is laid out for me. So I'm, you know, at first it's just shopping for the deal, but then I got to learn FBA program, source this product in China, ship it out, get it tested. So after the second month or so, I'll say I picked up the site, the real work starts, I think, in the FBA business. I think I'm looking pretty good, assuming I get the product out, assuming it's selling, and assuming I can start, you know, because I'm going to get sales through FBA as well, right? So there's going to be FBA sales there too. So I'm going to get those additional sales aside from the organic traffic I'm sending them from the affiliate site. 
and I'm starting to build affiliate sites that are supportive of that. They're selling my FBA product as well. I think it probably six to nine months before I'm starting to make some decent money on the FBA side and the affiliate site, and maybe another three to six months before those affiliate sites I started working with start bringing in the cash. One of the things I like about this though is I think that because it's a much larger business and I've got organic traffic and I've got some Amazon searches that are happening, I think it's a very diversified business eventually. And then I think eventually I'll get a much higher multiple on a sale of that business than I would an Amazon affiliate site, for example. I might get you know, 22, 24, 26X, where I might get 30, 35X on this business overall. So not only is it getting bigger with the additional earnings, it's getting bigger in terms of the multiple as well. Well, I like FBA. I own an FBA deal. It's a great business in the beauty space. The couple things that I think will be the toughest points, if you can make this strategy happen, it'll be beautiful. The toughest thing is going to be, number one, finding that deal that's the right deal with the right product in the right price range that you know, you're going to be able to do. And you know, I think the other part of that is FBA has become tougher. I mean, I don't know if from scratch I would plan on, the, I think the strategy of selling to the traffic that's coming into the site is great. I wouldn't necessarily plan on getting much traction within FBA. You know, I've got a mm. deal that's been around for eight years and it's really strong and we saw a lot of growth and all that, but a lot of the competitors are really stuck and they're kind of fighting each other like, you know, on page four of the results. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a lot tougher today just, I mean, because yeah. and, and in market, you know, it's what we're seeing in our market. It's what they saw in the amazing selling machine market. A ton of people come to something and the opportunity starts to not be as attractive. Yeah, there's way more competition. Everyone's trying to reach for the you know same piece of pie and the pie just isn't growing fast enough for all the people joining it. I totally agree with you. I mean, there are some definite downsides to FBA. I'm hoping that that will be the gravy on top of the affiliate site earnings yeah. and then it'll kind of like round it all out. But yeah, it's there's risk, man. It's risk in business, right? So I don't know. I don't know if it will work, but I, I, I like the approach. Yes, I like it as well. I like it. This is a great one, man. I hope people get some value out of this. Yeah, me too, man. All right, man. So that's it. We're done till season two, huh? Yeah, yeah. A few months. I think both of us are going to be doing some neat traveling and playing around. We didn't want to try to figure out how to get this together. And then we're going to jump into from beginning to end what it's like to be a buyer and some of the things that we're seeing in the market and how to, to navigate your way around it. Yeah, buddy. That sounds good. We'll see if we can sneak in a little mini-sode in between or something and give people an update. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, man. Till next time. Thanks for listening to The Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 